Welcome to the Friendship Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Binnick, and today we're going to be talking about all things fitness, wellness, and mindset so that you can be the best version of yourself for everybody and your family and life that loves you and needs you. All right, guys, what is going on? Today we are going to be talking about the ancillary health habits of the ultra fit. Might be one of the first times that I've actually started the podcast with what the actual title might be. And man, it's kind of a mouthful. Now, uh, a bunch of different fun stuff to kind of talk about today. And, you know, hopefully you guys are out and Columbus is just enjoying some really, really gorgeous weather right now. And I'm usually a guy who uh, is not a hot body, right? Uh, I had some really weird instances in the military where I probably had some heat injuries, whether that be, you know, heat exhaustion or heat stroke, something maybe a little bit more serious. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. There are multiple different periods of sort of uh, getting to almost like a blackout stage. And actually, we had one of the hottest summers on record while I was in basic training down in Fort Benning, Georgia. And there were more than one uh, person who uh, was critically injured or even died uh, that summer. And I remember it just being like it, you don't ever see drill sergeants break like they are the pillar of, you know, toughness and especially in the infantry. Right. You have to embody that you're dealing with a bunch of, you know, young, dumb. Um, men and you can't really ever falter or let yourself show weakness and I'll never forget we had this super tough drill sergeant Martin I maybe even have talked about him on this podcast before uh, you know he's a multiple purple heart guy you know ranger and just a, a tough 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 guy and a great leader you know always did the right thing led by example he would always be the guy running with you during PT rucking with you during the ruck marches and just just kicking ass and he was definitely aspirational but I'll never forget this one day we were out on the firing range and he just looked at all of us and just goes Gentlemen, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't think we should be out here right now. Like this is this is insane. He goes, this is this is hotter than any you know Afghanistan, Iraq, anywhere that I've been in the Middle East. This is this is about as hot as I think a human being can be. And so we he actually pulled us off the firing line, or at least I'm guessing he probably recommended to the commander. But ever since that uh, day and then, you know, going through uh, being a tomb garden, D.C., obviously a lot of heat there. You know, you guys maybe heard, heard me tell the story about tomb guards putting turkey thermometers into their blouses and having contests to see how hot it would get. And I think the record was somewhere in the 160s, at least during one of my reliefs. And um, so, you know, you deal with a lot of that heat. But then when I got out of the army and started, you know, doing some um CrossFit workouts, you know, whether it be Murph on the 4th of July or the unknowns on Memorial Day, uh, you know, doing a little bit more challenging physical exertion during, uh, you know, serious heat. I always really struggled with that. Uh, It was a major impediment to my training. And so I started to actually study when we were getting ready for the CrossFit Games that year. California at the time was notoriously hot in the middle of summer when they would do the CrossFit Games there. And I wanted to be prepared for that. And so I started looking into sauna training, and this is where we are going to start the day. It's talking about saunas. So 
Uh, I have a, a sauna. It was a, um, a gift from my family after my, I used my parents way too many times. And uh, they were, uh, my mom also a staunch researcher of saunas. Now, the cool part about saunas is Facebook Marketplace has some great options. There are also some very affordable options. I think a lot of people think saunas are uh, just very, very, very expensive. And obviously, the upper end of buying a brand new sauna can be extremely expensive. But there are some really good DIY options as well as some really good, uh, you know, second market options for, for people. I know Jay used to have one and when he moved, he had to get rid of it. Uh, it's not something that you would transport across the country with you. And so there's a lot of people at any given time who maybe thought a sauna was a good idea, uh, bought it, maybe aren't using it or they're moving. They're not going to take it with them. And sauna is one of those health benefits that uh, has done wonders for me. This past winter was the first year that I've really used it. And you guys can look up all the health benefits. There's ample information and details on the Internet about all of the health benefits that come from a sauna. But, you know, the big ones for us are really sort of the detoxification process. But also from a circulatory perspective, it really allows you to recover well in between workouts. And when we start to get into like the cold of winter, there is nothing that I have found better for just that general like seasonal depression malaise that we get into in January and February. And I would tell you, I would be in these like fogs and you'd go and take a 30 minute sauna and immediately you come out of it and you are like, you have so much more mental clarity, so much more mental acuity. Um, you know, after you shower, you just feel amazing. You feel clean, you feel good. So uh, I really got into it at first looking at developing a little bit of resistance to the heat. And so there's some training protocols out there for a lot of the, you know, Icelandic women, Scandinavian uh, competitors inside of sports that are very hot. So a lot of them are like the Hawaii Ironman. And if you are a Icelandic person, uh, the Hawaii Ironman is not probably going to be the most pleasant experience in the world for you from a temperature and humidity perspective. And so you know, saunas are the most well utilized in those Scandinavian countries. And it's commonplace for everybody to have one just in their house. Almost every house has one there. And I find it to be something that is not utilized effectively as a major significant health benefit inside of America. So this is going to be one of the first ones that we talk about. And I really hope that if you guys are interested in this, you guys can reach out. I'm happy to provide more information. Uh, and I'll also show throw some links in the show notes that really go into a little bit of a deeper dive on all of the health benefits that we can start to look at when it comes to the sauna. So that's my first First one, if we're talking about the healthy habits or what is it, the ancillary health habits of the ultra fit. Okay, and uh, the way back in the day, one of the first CrossFit documentaries that was ever made uh, was a guy of a guy named Miko Salo, and uh, it was called Sisu, and it was uh, really good. I mean, enjoyable, and he's just a, a pretty uh, interesting Finnish guy, and uh, he he takes a sauna, which connects actually to a shower, which is amazing, by the way. But 
but he basically talks about how essential they are when you're training in those, you know, 20 hours of darkness days uh, up in Finland. So I highly recommend you guys look into those and sort of a, um, you know, a counter to the sauna is, you know, ice baths or cold showers. And again, same thing. There's a lot of circulatory benefits to this. So, you know, there's all kinds of just heart healthy things that can come from this. But the other, you know, factor I think that is prevalent when you start to look at cold showers, contrast showers, contrast baths, uh, ice baths, whatever, whatever world you're kind of putting those things into is that idea of, you know, starting the day. You'll see a lot of people like to start their days This is a Tony Robbins things is it takes a cold plunge first thing every morning and it shocks your central nervous system into kind of getting awake and, and, you know, gets you into that, you know, a huge adrenaline rush of, uh, the beginning of the day that we we can look for in kind of a, a naturalistic fight or flight mode. But outside of that, the, the thing that's kind of cool about it from a mental health perspective is we start the day with completing a task that is good for us, but it also is not the most comfortable thing in the world. It's not something that you overly look forward to. And this is where I think this is different in the benefits from a cold tub or a cold shower and the sauna. The sauna is pretty inviting, right? You're in the middle of the winter and you have that feeling where like you can't raise your body temperature and you're just like eternally cold and you go and get in the sauna. And after like five or 10 minutes, it's like heaven, right? Your, your whole body temperature elevates, you start sweating, blood starts pumping and you start to feel the positive effects of that immediately. So it is very enjoyable as opposed to the, you know, mental effect of a, a cold shower, right? And so that, that is a very, very different, uh, mental effect on us. And so, uh, there's something to that idea of, we start our day sort of in some degree of discomfort and where I would tell you that I think that this has a lot of benefit really is not as much from the physical aspect, but if you guys are struggling a little bit with, getting your mind wrapped around some discipline, getting your mind wrapped around doing the inconvenient, uncomfortable thing. And you're taking that into every aspect. So you're, you're struggling with consistency in workouts. You're struggling with consistency in nutrition. You're struggling to have the difficult conversations at work and you're struggling to do the things financially that you need to do to set your family and yourself up for the future. And you're constantly in sort of this mode where, you know, you, you do okay for a little bit and then you kind of fall off the wagon. Like I save, 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 but then I have a dinner out with friends and I blow everything that I would have saved this month or or, you know, I eat super healthy for like three days in a row. And then on the weekend, I go off the deep end, you know, or I, I crush workouts. I'm four to five times a week. But then when I go on vacation, I just, you know, binge out for 10 straight days. I do nothing for myself. And then when I come back, I struggle to get back into a consistent routine. If that's where we are, I think that this is where the health benefit of doing something like a cold shower. And now when we're in summer, I think it makes a lot more sense than doing it in the winter. Um, I think that this is one of those things, again, seasonality inside of Ohio, I think, affects a lot of this. So I'm not taking almost any saunas right now because I can just walk outside and get both the vitamin D positive effects, but also the heat uh, required that I would be getting from the sauna. So I can get the same health benefits from being outside and then some from being outside during the summer. But 
I don't necessarily get that, you know, that cold rush. So the basically the the general science behind, um, you know, a cold shower is is it rushes blood back to the heart for protection. And along with some of that blood and some of those things is it rushes back a lot of the lactic acid, a lot of the different things that might be lingering inside of your muscles or your fascia. And it causes a little bit of this kind of clinch uh, in both your arteries and your muscles. And then when you go back into the heat and they slowly start to relax your blood, your, your heart is pumping out fresh blood into those uh, muscles and into those uh, veins and arteries. And so that's sort of the, a very simplistic, generalistic view of the health benefits. And we're not necessarily getting that when it's 100 degrees outside and we wake up and we start sweating at like 6 a.m. and don't stop sweating till like 7 p.m. There's not a lot of that, right? There's not a lot of that cold rushing uh, back blood to our heart. And so... I like to add these in in the summer, right? And I've had a couple this week, especially in the afternoons when I'm starting to feel like I'm just like overheated generally. Uh, That's not great for us from a recovery perspective anyway. If we're constantly in that state of stress of being overheated and our body is just constantly like pouring sweat, there's a there's sort of a, a critical mass that we don't want to go over in that world. So I utilize it there, but also when I start feeling a little bit like I'm struggling from a disciplinary's perspective where I'm just sort of 80% on everything, right? Eh, maybe I haven't worked out great this week. Maybe I haven't ate great this week. Maybe I've been a little bit frugal with my spending and bought stuff. Not not frugal, the opposite. Maybe I've been a little over generous with my spending this this month or this week. And when I'm struggling from that disciplinary perspective, it's easy for me or easiest for me to just take some small action. And I like it to start the day. This is also sort of a similar mentality to making your bed first thing in the day, right? Accomplish a small disciplinary task that is not the easiest thing to do. It's not the thing that you want to do. It's not, it's not going to provide you any pleasure in the immediate short term. But you know that it will have some long-term health benefits for you or some long-term benefit to you, your life, or if in the making your bed case, maybe your wife's life, whatever it might be. That's the idea, right? And so I like to use these two throughout different times of the year to both provide me some health benefit, but also to provide me some disciplinary action. And when I look at the sauna, one of the big things I also like to use it for is meditation, right? Or if I'm not sitting there in silence, I'm sitting there in some degree of, you know, Solitude. So maybe I'm listening to a podcast that's mindset focused. Maybe I'm trying to turn my brain off in the evening. So maybe I listen to music or maybe I just sit there for a little bit and just think. And I like to utilize those times so I get the compounding effects of those things as well. And so these are two things that I've studied that a lot of very healthy, very, very successful people do on the regular, right? They regularly sauna every day. They do, you know, a cold plunge or a cold tub. And I'm not saying you got to go full Tony Robbins and build a plunge tub in like your back concrete. If you guys have never seen the video of it, it's pretty freaking crazy. Um, It's it's like he literally just carved a hole in the concrete of his back patio. And there's like a little latch gate that you pull open and the water just sits at like 45 degrees all day and he just wakes up pops it open plunges in and has this big like oh oh, like rush moment and then gets up and he like does some like breathing exercise i think he yells a bunch like there's there's a bunch of like things if you ever want to look at some of those really kind of far end extreme stuff um he's really looked into a lot of that uh breathing is one that is sort of our next one up and uh this is one admittedly that i'm going to be studying and researching for really the next probably four to 
six months, I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention to. Uh, the real popular one is the Wim Hof breathing. And this is one that people can kind of get cult-ish, for lack of a better way to put it with it. But the idea basically is um, that so much of breath controls so much of just the musculature and the stress levels that we kind of wear and the focus and concentration that we have throughout the day, that if you learn to control your breath, you can learn to heat yourself up or cool yourself down, right? Or maybe not those exact terms, but basically uh, be able to kind of control your emotional state a little bit better. And I think now this is something that is obviously extremely important. And we've talked a lot about this from the hyper stress management standpoint in terms of just pausing, stopping, take a breath and maybe take 10 breaths and maybe pay attention to how you take those 10 breaths. And then maybe practice focusing on your breathing for 15 or 20 minutes a day. And these are just little things that you guys can start to play around with. The funny thing is, is I think naturally you'll take to probably one or two things that I'm going to list out here that are all just, again, ancillary little things that we can start to work on. Whether or not you guys take to breathing, it is still important or, or any of the stuff we're going to talk about today. It is still important to acknowledge the health benefits of it and acknowledge where and when it's going to be useful for us. We don't need to utilize these tactics every day. We don't need to really study and work on breathing every single day and spend a lot of time on this. But if we can learn the strategies, and this is what I like to do, learn the strategies and where and when they're useful. Then we just build this toolkit. We build a better repertoire for dealing with stress, for dealing with frustration, for dealing with anger and dealing with unhappiness. And so if we can start to get a couple of these little things packed into a tight little toolkit, in addition to the major ones like, you know, sleep and nutrition and exercise and relationships and love, if we can add these little things in and have a better toolkit for when we do start to deal with stress, think about how formidable that becomes. Think about how powerful and useful then we can be when we start to deal with some of these things. Now, our next one's going to be a weird one for some of you guys, maybe Uh, for other of you, it will not be. But especially if you guys have kids, uh, this one is a bit bizarre. But we're going to talk about shoes and bare feet and This is one of those kind of weird random ones, but what you'll find is a lot of the fittest people are very, very in tune with the, the muscles. <laughs> so some might say, Andy might joke with me and say the chakras that run through your feet. Um, but there is a lot of really good science and research around the foot. And if we really take a second and we think about it, it makes a ton of sense, right? Our feet are our foundation with the ground and all movement is going to be predicated upon a solid foundation. And so if you have weak feet or, you know, disformed feet or, you know, immobile feet, whatever it might be, or locked up feet, bad circulation, whatever, whatever your ailment in your feet is. Well, everything upstream, if you're doing something standing is going to suffer from that, right? So this pertains to us in a large way because so much of what we do in the gym and throughout our life is done on our feet. And one of the interesting things now when we start to kind of watch how some of our society is is treating things, the 
kids are put into shoes at a very, very, very young age. And kids really should not be put into shoes at a very young age, or at the very least, they should be spending a large amount of their time barefoot. And there's a ton of different reasons for this, but really the the formative years of learning how to walk and balance and strengthen and structure our feet in the right way, that is the, those foundational years is going to kind of set the tone for the way your hips work, the way your back reacts to that, the way your knees cave in or cave out, or the way your foot arch caves in or caves out. And that's going to have repercussions for the rest of your life. And so when we start to really pay attention to this, you can get into some pretty funky stuff uh, just by putting kids in shoes too early or wearing things like flip flops and the way that you have to grip and manipulate a flip flop uh, is going to have a, a negative benefit on the or a negative impact on the way that your foot actually works. And so you won't see a lot of ultra healthy people wearing flip flops a lot and even if they are, right, they probably are spending ample amounts of time training and working with no footwear or completely bare feet. And the the funny thing is when you start to really kind of dive into this, it just tacks in a little bit with like the way that we feed our kids when they're young and the, the way that we're sort of creating these systems with school and sitting and electronics and all these things. Everything is just sort of this one step backwards from natural. And we became these, you know, evolved, amazing animals and creatures naturally without shoes. And now we have these soft feet, which leads to soft hips, which leads to soft knees, which leads to bad glutes and and overly tight abductors and weak backs. And it all works itself right up the chain. And if you guys have never paid attention to this, I always tell like when Maria and I, when we walk around the zoo, and you get to just see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walking. When you walk behind them, watch how many people's arches collapse and their knees, like their shin angle comes towards each other. So their knees are like kind of knee knocking or close to that knee knocking position where their arch collapse and they don't have good foot mechanics. And immediately that person, like you can sit there and tell that person is really not going to be able to squat well or without pain, not going to be able to deadlift effectively or jump effectively. And they're going to have knee issues and back issues later in their life. And sometimes you're walking around. This is like you see it a lot with like teenage girls. It's like bad posture and flip flops on and knees knocking. You're just like, oh, that's going to be a painful life for those joints. And we can sort of correct this with some very, very simple exercises and some very simple just awareness of the importance of running around and training barefoot. And I, I think, you know, I always try to think back as like a kid, but I mean, I just spent the entire summer barefoot. It's like if we were, you know, at a pool or playing tag or running around the neighborhood, like unless I was on a bike or on rollerblades, I was actively barefoot like the entire time. And 
number one, you have these super resilient feet, right? You can like step on a little acorn or a pebble or something and you're, you're just like, ah, that hurts. Now, if like I step on like the littlest bit of something, my feet are like, oh, that hurts. <laughs> it's just like they become so soft because I just, everywhere you go, you just put on shoes. And it's ironic that this has such an impact on our exercise. But when we start to look at meniscus problems, and we look at how big of an industry meniscus surgery is, and we start to look at some of these other things, a lot of that stuff, when you start to look, they're saying, you know, it's foot problems that are causing this. And so what do we do instead of building up strong feet? What do we do? We give people orthotics. And so instead of fixing the foot, Instead of doing you know, physical therapy exercises or training and developing a stronger foot, we prop it up, which is like such a weird, bizarre way to start to fix a problem. And it should probably be both like we want the foot to be in the in the right position, but we also have to strengthen it. It's got to be two pieces to the puzzle. It's the same thing when we start looking at people who are having knee surgeries and they go through a knee surgery because they have, you know, weak glutes, you know, a weak core, bad feet, whatever it might be. They go through this knee surgery and they do a little physical therapy for the knee, but they don't fix the way that they move at all. And so a couple years goes by and maybe at first like the knee feels a little better, but then the same problems exist because you didn't fix the way that you move. And most of our injuries come in because we move poorly, right? Because we, we don't move efficiently. We have a weakness somewhere in our chain. And the reason that feet are so important is because again, feet are the foundation, right? They are the base of the pyramid. They are our first contact with the floor. And so if you can imagine any foundation of any building, if you just immediately put that foundation on ice skates, right? On a, on a bed of ice, immediately the rest of the building becomes less stable. If you blow off a bunch of like the bottom pillars of, you know, the World Trade Centers and you take out those bottom concrete steel platforms, it doesn't matter how well built the rest of the building is. It's going to collapse. It's going to come down. And when we start to think about the feet in that way, it gives us a little bit more respect and maybe a little bit more understanding why it's so important to do things like single leg jumps and single leg stands, farmers carries and stuff and doing some of those things barefoot and doing some jumping barefoot, doing squatting, lunging, anything, but working on the way that our feet actually are gripping and working with the floor. And I always love that Dr. Om calls these sensory deprivation chambers. And so he taught, that's what he calls shoes. So he says we lock our kids up in these sensory deprivation chambers from like a super young age and they totally lose the ability to have control of their toes, to have control of their feet in any way. And when I talked with Jenny about how you should be able to control your toes, and you guys can try this right now and you can take your shoes and socks off and if you're driving, don't do this. And you should be able to independently lift every single toe. You should be able to independently separate in, in between every single toe. We can easily do this with our hands, right? Like it's super simple. If you put your hands on the table and you say, lift your index finger, you can only lift your index finger. Like none of that's, none of that's very hard, right? If I say separate between your index and middle finger, you can do that. But if I tell you, you have to lift up your, you know, index toe or your middle toe or your pinky toe, like typically what happens is you're going to be able to lift like your big toe and that's it. And then like the other four just sort of operate in unison as one piece. 
And we start to look at arches, there's more there. And we start to look at the way that heel cords and feet and all those things and how they tighten up and how that leads to plantar fasciitis and how our movement and all these other things, it all plays together. And so in most people that are ultra healthy, they're going to have some degree of respect for the feet, right? And that's going to be varying degrees. But when we start to understand that, you'll see a lot of fit people walking around barefoot, watch a lot of documentaries, you'll watch a lot of videos with them, and you'll see them walking around barefoot. And there's also this huge school of thought. Now we're getting out onto the fringes a little bit, but that we should have the ability to like grip and move. So if you guys ever watched Kobe Bryant when he tore his Achilles, how he did his rehab, uh, there's a really cool video of him and his uh, trainers got him and he's got this big bucket of marbles and he has to, and the guy dumps the bucket onto the ground and he has to grip with his toes and pick up all the marbles and put them back into the jar with just his toes. And there's a lot of some of these like weird ancillary training things. But one of the things that people do is they take pans and they put a bunch of different materials in the pans and it's things like sand and you just stand in the sand and you just grab it with your feet. Right. And it's kind of like rice for forearms. And same thing, you can do it with gravel and little rocks and pebbles. And you can put all these other little things that you might stand on mulch, right. That might otherwise bother your feet. And they stand in it and they just be with it for a little bit and you just move your foot around in it and you feel it and you put weight back and forth and you grab it with your toes and you pick it up and you put it back down and we just play for a little bit like a kid. And some of those things that are pretty natural for us are actually really, really good for us. And it helps strengthen the feet. It helps toughen the feet. It helps build proprioception, which is like the biggest piece of awareness that we need on how our foot is actually gripping the floor, how it's controlling our movement and where we're losing contact with it. And I can go to town on this, but I think a lot of times in the gym, you know, we do a lot of stuff that is like single leg, single foot, barefoot, etc. And it's really important to understand why those things are so important is the reason that you see, you know, older people, you see, you know, people even in their like 30s, 40s, 50s, and they like slip on ice. And it's like these huge, catastrophic, insane falls. They don't catch themselves well. Well, a lot of that is just because they don't have proprioception. They don't have that quickness in reaction. They don't have the ability to balance as well. They don't understand how to regain balance, control balance. And so, you know, we should really be able to do one of the weird things we did back in the day for endurance club was we used to make people do sprints or do runs and then they would hold a really heavy sandbag or double kettlebells and we would have somebody come up and just kind of give them little pokes and pushes and shoves on their single leg and force them to work on that rebalancing mechanic all the time. Right. And you could throw things to them. You could throw med balls to them. They'd have to throw it back and you'd circle around them. They throw it at you from different angles. And what we're training there then is over the long haul of something like a 5k or a 10k or a marathon, what's going to happen is those systems are going to break down, right? That your, your foot mechanics, your running mechanics are not going to be able to last for a whole marathon. And so when those things break down becomes the moment where you start to do damage to your body and you start to really struggle from a fatigue standpoint. And this is true inside of any functional fitness training at all. You're limited by when your body starts to break down and your efficiency starts to go away. And then you become way more exhausted than you should be because you're not an efficient mover. Well, when we do some of those training tools, what we're doing is we're building better longevity, stamina, endurance, strength, and you know stability and coordination on a single leg. 
So as we start to run, if you're running correctly, you should be in the air or on a single leg. And when we start to break down, you start to see people start to shuffle. And if you can get a picture of yourself with two feet on the ground when you're running, you're running wrong. You're really not running, right? You're like jaunting. I don't know if that's a word, <laughs> but you're, you're kind of just going through the motions, but you're, your body's breaking down. You're not necessarily getting what you're supposed to be getting out of running. And so some of those single leg training protocols, some of those barefoot training protocols are the best way for us to start to develop that. And so, sorry, I went down a huge nerdery element there, but I program a lot of this stuff for, for our clients. And I think it's really, really important for people to understand why we do it, but also understand that like, these are some of those little things. Again, we're looking for the 1% or the 2%. And if I'm telling you right now, if you guys are listening to this and right now I've told you how you can improve your tolerance to heat, if the heat really affects you in your workout how you can in a really small way every day impact your disciplinary performance, how you can better control your stress levels and how you can stop your body from breaking down and reducing the likelihood that you're going to lose performance, bleed performance, lose efficiency and have pain throughout the major joints in your body throughout your life. Well, if we're 1% better across all those domains and we're doing the big four, right? then man, we're getting pretty dialed in. All right, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. So I got to start wrapping this thing up. All right, last piece of nerdery for all of you today. Where can we get 1% better? Where maybe people think it's outside the box. It's not something I'm even got on my radar right now, but it's, it's relatively simple. And so this is just general circadian rhythm. And so what we're going to talk about here is just the idea. And if you guys haven't yet, of a while back, I did an episode that was kind of all things sleep. And I touched on this a little bit, but uh, what we really want to be thinking about here is two things. Well, three things, really. Okay. Number one is our body has natural elements in it that want to go to sleep when the sun goes down or close to it, that want to wake up with the sun and that want to engage with the sun. Right. So when we wake up in the morning, we have to or need to, if the sun is available to us, go and get it. So Marie and I have been waking up every day and our first cup of coffee or second cup of coffee together is always going to be outside in the sunlight. And you'd be shocked at what this does for you mentally and physically, right? So this helps us sort of get our day started and get our circadian rhythms dialed in. Okay. There's a lot of things that can throw our circadian rhythms off, but an ideal world, if we're talking about really maximizing this is we would go to sleep within 20 to 30 minutes of it, of each other, right? Every single night. So you just set, set a bedtime, right? You've, you did this for years when you were a kid. It's okay. I understand as adults, we really like to maybe just one more episode, right? Or we really like to finish that scroll on Instagram because we hadn't seen it in 15 minutes, whatever it might be, whatever our, whatever our unnecessary late night addiction is, we need to have a bedtime, right? So for me, it's usually 1030 and we need to stick to that. So within, you know, plus or minus 15 minutes. So between 1015 and 1045, I need to be asleep. Okay. That's, that's not in bed. That's asleep. Okay. So I go to bed in that same range and rhythm. My body then can start to recognize that and get into a rhythm. 
right? Then when I wake up, I want to wake up roughly the same time with me. It's the sun usually. So that's going to be right now somewhere between 6.30, 6.45 typically. Um, sometimes it may be 7, 7.15. Just depends on what time of year it's going to be. And try to wake up with the sun. And then if the sun is available to me when I wake up, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to get that. Even if it's just sitting, standing, walking, take the dogs outside, drink my first cup of coffee, sit out there. The health benefits of this are like immeasurable, right? It's going to help you have more consistent sleep, number one. It's going to help you have deeper sleep when you are sleeping, number two. And number three, the biggest thing is it allows us to maximize the sun, right? Which is not something that I spent a ton of time talking about this because I talk about this quite a bit. Uh, But obviously, vitamin D, the sun is a powerhouse of energy that we need to be soaking up as much of as we can safely and effectively. Okay. So that's just five things, right? That we kind of just touched on, uh, throughout this last half hour that are just some little ancillary, small little habit things that you guys can test and play and try out. And if you guys are like me, uh, or DDP or some people like that, who love to nerd out over all these little 1% gains here and there, uh, a sauna, I would probably put it like a 5% gain. I'm not going to lie. The sauna made a big impact on me this uh, winter. I usually really struggle around February to stay healthy, right? Like I, I usually catch some sort of a cold or sickness and uh, upper, you know, upper nasally type thing that turns into like bronchitis and it, it, almost every year, like I had it for like three or four years in a row. And it was always this like one or two week thing. And it was just kind of annoying, knew it would happen. And then you go, go on about your life. Uh, but you know, this year, knock on wood, healthy as a horse all winter long. And I was very diligent with my saunaing. And so, uh, and, and I also, I felt better. I had better mental acuity. You know, it just, I, I can't, I can't over exaggerate how much I enjoyed having a sauna this year. Um, and I understand that that one's hard for people, but if you guys can do it, do it. Highly recommend. So sauna, we talked about, we talked about contrast baths, cold tubs, showers, a lot of different types of research on that. Uh, the biggest thing that I would say that is beneficial and what I like to do the most, the easiest form of this is you do one minute on two minutes off or one minute of cold, two minutes of hot. And when you go cold, you go as cold as you can possibly stand all the way cold. Just don't even give yourself an option. Take it as cold as your shower will go and hit everywhere on your body. Your back is going to be the hardest part, your head maybe in your back and just let it just crush every single muscle that you can possibly get the cold water on and then go two minutes back to warm and do that for like three or four intervals, right? Better would be like five or six intervals, but obviously it's a long shower. Okay. And that's, that's like the coup de gras. That's like the best that you can do inside of just a normal shower life. Um, if you guys want something that's a little bit quicker, just get in and go two minutes hard to the face as cold as the shower can possibly go. And, uh, and that'll wake you up. Uh, so that's our second one. So we got sauna, uh, we got cold bath. Um, we got, uh, we got breathing, which honestly I'm not super well researched in right now. Uh, I've, I've mostly just researched the benefits that are available to us. And Wim Hof, like I said, is the most, uh, popular. I'll put, throw a link down in the show notes so you guys can maybe check that out a little bit. And I'm going to start researching that. So you guys can probably expect a podcast on that a little more in depth here coming up. Our next one is feet. Feet, feet, feet. Pay attention to your feet, please. Um, I I can't exaggerate from this is like a this is a direct training tool, right? This is like 
immediate performance inside of the gym if you can start to work on this. Uh, so that one's a big one for people. And then the last one, guys, our fifth one is balancing out your circadian rhythms. And again, I'll, I'll throw a link in the show notes that talks a little bit about how if your circadian rhythms are thrown off from electronics and you guys are in that electronic purge that we talked about last episode, um, you guys can, there's a couple different things that you can do to help kind of reset your circadian rhythm. And it does involve going out in nature. So it, involve, it would involve basically bringing, you know, a, a book and no electronics out into the woods, camping, uh, things like that. There are probably ways that you can do that effectively without having to go out and go camping in the woods. Uh, but that is the most tried true uh, way of doing it is actually going out, being and living in nature and sleeping and rising with the sun and uh, getting back into sort of our natural rhythms. So uh, that is the the five list of the uh, ancillary 1% gain healthy habits of the ultra healthy. So hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you guys like this more nerdy, nitty gritty stuff, uh, let me know. I'll be uh, sure to uh, go off and just be, be totally off the wall for some of you guys for a few episodes. Thanks, guys.